Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Folks, welcome back. Today's topic is a great topic. We are talking about stem cells, but we are talking specifically about the stem cells that you already have in your body and how you might be able to tap into those stem cells to drive healing and regeneration from the inside out. My guest today is all about this, and his name is Christian Drapeau. Now you know that I speak French. I think in English, you might call him Christian Drapeau, but as a French person, I call him Christian Drapeau. Anyway, Christian Drapeau holds a master's in neurophysiology from McGill University, and he is also the founder, president, and director of research and development for a company called Caliogen. And he is the author of a great book called Cracking the Stem Cell Code. If you get my newsletter, you know that I dove deep into this book uh, a little while ago, and it just blew my mind all about how stem cells that already exist in your body can possibly be mobilized so that we can improve your healing and regeneration powers over time, gradually over time. And this is what Christian Drapeau's work is all about right now. It's how can we tap into this untapped resource, as it were, and how can we encourage it to come online when we need it. And so this is what the book's all about. This is what this podcast is all about. And of course, Christian got very fascinated with this topic. And then it came to his attention that there are compounds that exist that may actually drive these processes naturally from within. And I encourage, we talk about a couple of the cases in the podcast, but if you're interested in this, I encourage you to buy his book because it is like, especially the end of it where he talks about case studies, will blow your mind. Trust me. Anyway, if you want to learn more about Caliogen and Stem Regen, which is the supplement that they market, you can go to caliogen.com. So that's K-A-L-Y-E-G-E-N.com. You can use discount code NAT30 to get $30 off your purchase. Yeah, check it out. There's also some great resources and research on the website. If you get value from this podcast, guess what you're going to do? Hopefully you're going to leave us a great review and you're going to share it with your friends, your family, and your networks. Totally appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for being here and enjoy the episode. Hey folks, just a quick minute to thank our sponsor for this episode. Have you heard of nitric oxide? If you were a listener in December, you may have caught the full episode we have on it. Nitric oxide is a vital molecule that is responsible for cardiovascular health and blood flow in the body. But as we age, we produce less of it. And as a result, the health of our systems are impacted because we're just not getting the optimal distribution of blood and nutrients that we need. I have found a great way to ensure my nitric oxide levels are topped off. And it's a system called Berkeley Life. I take Berkeley's two capsule supplement just once a day. And that gives me the building blocks that my body needs to create adequate nitric oxide. I noticed a boost in energy and stamina 
all day long. And I know that all of my critical systems, like my gastrointestinal system, circulatory and cardiovascular systems are benefiting from that improved blood flow. My clients and my family take it too, and have also noticed improved outcomes. It's never too early to be thinking about how you can support and sustain lifelong health and vitality. Berkeley Life makes this possible for me and can make it possible for you too. You can access Berkeley Life by going to berkeleylife.com and using practitioner code NIDDBL to place your order. That code will also give you 10% off that first order. And now back to the episode. Hey folks, just a little bit of housekeeping before we launch into the episode. Please remember that all of the information provided in these podcasts is for information purposes only. We are never offering treatments, cures, whatever, for any kind of disease or medical condition. Anything you hear about here is going to be intriguing. There's some research around it, but make sure that you check with your medical provider before you go off and do any of this stuff for yourself. All right. Enjoy the episode and also If you're looking to connect with me for any reason, with your comments, questions, whatever it may be, you can reach me through my website, which is natnidham.com, or you can find me on Facebook in the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group, or on MeWe in the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Group. And of course, you can also follow me on Instagram, which is at Natalie Nidham. Natalie is with an H between the T and the a, the second day. So thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you guys. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show, Christian Drapeau. It is such a pleasure to meet you today. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, this topic is, well, I mean, you know, the podcast talks a lot about longevity and how people can live a healthier, longer, better life. I think that your topic is bang on for the listeners who may not know who you are. And just to give us some insight into how you got to where you are today, because how I heard about you was a friend of mine went to an event in Austin in December and she came out of there and she's like, Matt, you need to meet Christian Drapeau. You got to talk to him. This guy, you blew everybody away with your presentation. And she then lent me your book and I contacted your people. And after I read the book, I was like, holy cow, we need to have a conversation. So, uh, so Christian, if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got here. My background uh, originally is, is neuroscience so neurophysiology. Mm-hmm. So I was at the Montreal Neurological Institute doing research essentially on epilepsy and memory. Uh, and I got, I'll make the story short, I got bored with what I was doing there. And I got an opportunity to, uh, to move to America. I was at the time in Montreal to move to America and to work for a company that was marketing a product, Blue Green Algae from Klamath Lake. Uh, this was just after the shaving passed in America. So the, um, the um, Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act that basically said, if a company makes any kind of claim about a product, then there need to be science to support these claims. So I was hired essentially to study this plant, find its mechanism of action, its active compounds, just some science. And starting to study that plant, this is what led me probably five to six years after I started to discover that that plant had an effect on stem cells. So it basically came by observing cases that were fairly uh, impressive, I should say, of benefits, 
not only not only that the benefits were impressive, but the variety of these benefits was mind-boggling from a scientific standpoint. Repair of the lung, of the pancreas, of the liver, of the skin, of the brain. So how can one plant have such extensive benefits that touch so many aspects of human health? So we did not have an explanation until 2001 when uh, the discoveries about stem cells started to show up. At the very least, that's when I became aware of them. And then uh, and one thing leading to another, then my life completely shifted and went into stem cell research, stem cell research from that point on. Wow, that's interesting. So so stem cells weren't really on your radar before when you were at the Neurological Institute. I mean, they were maybe, but not so much in a regenerative sense the way they are now. Before that time, let's say before 2000, 2001, adult stem cells just did not exist in people's mind other than precursors to blood cells. I will go as far as to say that today in med school, students are still not told really about the the true regenerative power of stem cells. It is still understood and the general traditional knowledge that stem cells from the bone marrow are precursors to blood cells. They are, but they're also something else that is just as important, if not more, I wouldn't say more important than your blood cells, but but just just as as important, important, just as important as your blood cells. So I became aware of this, like the whole world, at the same time that the whole world discovered what stem cells are and what they can do. Okay, so let's talk a bit about stem cells. Let's back up the bus a little bit because um, people hear stem cells and they think different things. Definitely, there's been a lot of noise about stem cell clinics in the U.S., like some some clinics in the U.S. who were using stem cells who got shut down. There's stem cells that you get from another source, like uh, from cord blood. And of course, the stem cells that got this whole area into hot water, embryonic stem cells. And then and then there's the stem cells that we can take out of our own fat or our, our own body. So Maybe if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of, of an orientation in this stem cell universe and then really hone in on the ones that you're really talking about in your book. Stem cells, just to begin with, what are they? Uh, probably the best way to uh, understand what stem cells are is to first talk about what is not a stem cell. <laughs> Every cell of your body are known as somatic cells, like a cell of your muscle, a cell of your lung, of your pancreas. They do one specific thing, like a cell of your pancreas will do insulin. Uh, A cell of your retina will be excited by light, will send a signal to your brain. That's it. That's the only thing that that cell is going to do. A cell will never transform into another type of cell. uh, And so they're fixed. And to a large extent, they do not multiply. So at the end of that spectrum, you have stem cells. Stem cells are nothing in the fact that a stem cell doesn't do anything in your body. It's its existence or its its role is to transform into something else that will be a somatic cell. So they have the ability to transform into virtually anything in the body. They can multiply during the entire life of an individual, at least in the bone marrow, uh, and, um, and, uh, and, and they live in your bone marrow. They are immortal. So that's what stem cells are. They are, generally speaking, uh, based of everything that people may have heard in the media since the early 2000, mm-hmm. embryonic stem cells and adult stem cells. There was a big push to make everybody understand that embryonic stem cells was really the future. If we have time, we can go into the politics of that. It was highly political because yeah. everybody knows in the field of stem cell research that embryonic stem cells are powerful, but they're actually too powerful meaning that an embryonic stem cell is a stem cell, let's say the, a one cell that can then become a full organism. 
Yeah. So you take one cell, you develop it, and you get the full, fully formed uh, in uh, body, if you want. So that stem cell can become everything in the body. So if you take a, an embryonic stem cells and you put it in the skin, for example, you wait, you just wait a few weeks, and you're very likely to get what is called a teratoma, which is a lump right. of tissue where you will have heart cells, beating heart cells, a few pieces of teeth, some hair, wow. some liver, some muscles. Some, it's a lump of everything. It shows you the power of embryonic stem cells. As the embryo develops, becomes the fetus, when you're just about to be born, that the stem cells are now called adult stem cells. So the stem cells that you find in, a, in an umbilical cord or a placenta, they are, for all intents and purposes, adult stem cells. So it does not really refer to an adult. It refers to an, an organism after birth. So right. these are adult stem cells. These adult stem cells have, known, have been known for ages, uh, for ages, let's say for a number of decades, let's say half a century, a little more, to okay. be precursors to blood cells. Let's say the 1950s, the precursors to blood cells. They're responsible to make your blood. And that understanding was the, the, the how could I say, the knowledge about stem cells until discoveries were made early 2000 that adult stem cells were also able to become cells of virtually any tissue in the body. But the difference compared to embryonic stem cells is that if you take an adult stem cells and you put it in the skin, it will only become skin cells. I you see. put it in the heart, it only becomes heart cells. So it is true that they're more limited, but that limitation is actually not from a therapeutic standpoint. It's limited. In, it's that it's not too wild. It will not mm. lead to cancer teratomas. So from a purely therapeutic standpoint, the future is, is with adult stem cells. It, yeah. It's only with adult stem cells. Yeah. They still use embryonic stem cells. I won't go into all the details, but it's mostly for drug discovery. If you can take an embryonic stem cells and make it become a heart in a test tube, then you, a human heart in a test tube, then you can test drugs on, that, on these human heart cells. So it's for drug discovery, essentially. For treatment, therapeutics, the future is with adult stem cells. In the whole world of adult stem cells, therefore, you have umbilical cord, placenta stem cells that you can collect from placenta, from the umbilical cord. You have stem cells from fat tissue. Your fat tissue contains a lot of stem cells. It's easy to extract some fat tissue and spin it in, the, in a centrifuge, extract stem cells, and then I can re-inject these stem cells. It's autologous, meaning that they are your own. So it's your own stem cells that you use. You can have stem cells everywhere in every tissue. The main question is, how do you get them? So you can have stem cells, for example, from a tooth to a child that loses, that loses, loses a tooth. You have uh, dental pulp stem cells that you can mm -hmm. extract. So there's a whole market in Thailand, for example, when your kid loses a, to a tooth. Well, you put that into a little test tube. You send that to the facility that will culture these stem cells propagate them and then you can you go there and pay them a wow. fee to get an injection of dental pulp stem cells. So there are different hair follicles, stem cells, there are different types of stem cells. Today, the most commonly used is adipose stem cells, meaning your fat stem cells. Yeah. But the base of all these stem cells is the bone marrow. This is where they come. This is where they are immortal. When you find them in a tissue, it came from the bone marrow, migrated in that tissue to become a tissue-specific stem cell. So the work that I have done mostly started from when all of this was observed, the thing that, aside from the discoveries that we did with the plants, and I'm sure we will have a chance to talk about yeah, this, for but sure. for me, the, the great question is, or was, 
if adults themselves have such amazing potential and they are isolating them from your body, from your fat tissue, for example, and then re-injecting them in your body, you didn't do anything to these stem cells. They're not better because you took them out and you put them back in. So if they're there to begin with, what is their natural role? And is there a way to tap into these stem cells? So the work that, I've, that I have done focused on how can we support or stimulate the release of our own stem cells in our own bone marrow so that we can put more in circulation, uh, which is ex exactly what you achieve by an injection. You have more in circulation through an right. injection. What about right. adding more through releasing your own? That's right. essentially, you know, I hope it was not too long, but it's kind of no. a brief overview on stem cells. Yeah, no, I think, and I, you know, and I think the confusion when, when we think adult stem cells is we think they're stem cells of adult people, but actually what you're saying is they're mature stem cells. So they themselves had hit adulthood in that they're no longer the wild west. I can turn into anything stem cell. They're really now, depending on their environment, will then propagate into whatever tissue it is that they're surrounded by in whatever. Right. And so, and so the, and the stem, the autologous stem cell injections, what's interesting, I guess, is you're, you're taking a whole whack of stem cells out of one place and you're purposefully placing them in another very specific space where you want regeneration. So the knee, the hip, whatever the case may be, and hoping, you know, people talk about creating a scaffolding for those stem cells so that they stay there. And don't, because stem cells by their very nature, just because you put them somewhere, doesn't mean they're going to stay, right? <laughs> yes and no. It, it's a more complex uh, discussion than that. Let, let me first put it into a greater context. Okay. The context that <clears throat> from a scientific standpoint, when I'm a scientist and I'm working into a typical, let's say, pharmaceutical environment, mm -hmm. I want to do something that is associated with IP, patents, yes. expertise, a treatment that at the end is as substance mm -hmm. to say your own stem cell can do it is, is too simplistic if you want for medicine in, in general. So yes, there is a place for these scaffolds and all of that, but releasing your own stem cells oftentimes will do the same thing. Let me give you an example. Some years ago, and still I'm sure people do it, but some years ago, uh, people would inject stem cells. For example, I work with a cardiologist and they would inject stem cells in the heart. Oh yeah, I love this story. This is in the book. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> then, then, then at the entrance of the, of the heart. And then what they realize is that you just put them in the blood circulation. They will go where you have an injury. This is, they're designed for that. They will go where there is an injury. So at the end, if you inject them just at the entrance of the heart, the benefits could be faster. But six months later, there's no difference whether you put them in the heart, at the entrance of the heart, or in the blood circulation. But in the general blood circulation, it's just a doctor's office yeah. practice. Then you don't need to go into a hospital, into an mm -hmm. operation room. So, so, so more and more uh, people now will simply put the stem cells into your systemic circulation. Oh, right. Stem cells will migrate where they have to go. Right. When you talk about scaffold, where there is a place for them, is, uh, uh, is when you talk to, you mentioned the knee, the hip, when there's cartilage involved, bone structure involved, yes, a, a, a type of scaffold can be very interesting in these conditions because you have very, very poor blood circulation. You can regenerate some cartilage by releasing your own stem cells. It's been seen, it's been documented, we have seen it, uh, but, it but you get much 
more predictable results if you can have a scaffold that you ins- that you actually oftentimes the scaffold is made to build your cartilage in vitro in your in your test tube if you want and then you insert it in the body so in the body uh, just injecting stem cells systemically or releasing your own actually does a lot of the job for most people yeah well and it's interesting what you said because in the book you talk about a situation where the um, there was a situation where they would inject stem cells into the heart after a cardiac event, let's say. And what they found is that although you did get regeneration of heart tissue and it was functional, it wasn't as well integrated with the existing heart tissue. And so it didn't have the same benefits as if perhaps we would, in, we would allow for an infusion or a supply of stem cell that to come to the heart almost on its own and that it would be a slower, more gradual rebuild, but it would be better integrated with the existing heart tissue and therefore have a better outcome on the other side. Did I get that right? Or You got it right. The only little difference that I would do in the conclusion is just to say at the end, you know, the health of, the, of an individual is really the outcome that you're looking for. Uh, in that story, it was a study in which stem cells were injected in the heart. So the stem cells did help repair the heart. But when you look at the heart very closely, uh, they saw that the electrical coupling of the heart right. was such that you did not have one heart that all uh, acted together at one organ. You basically had two organs in one that worked together, but they were electric, electrically uncoupled. Uh, yeah. So in, in that way, it just leads to the conclusion, maybe that, the, that this individual would have the same uh, health, if you want, Hmm. than another individual. No studies were done on that. So I cannot say. But to me, it leads me to one, I would say, more general conclusion. The body was not designed to have one shot of stem cells in the heart, but it was designed to use your own stem cells to go and repair the heart. So if you can release your own stem cells and put them systemically, they will go to the heart uh, and they will repair the heart. So many, many places in the world do that and, and with good results with the heart. Yeah. And I, and actually, because I got involved with a stem cell company a few years ago, and one of the things they would talk about is that this, this is all about the chemical messengers of that cells use for communication and that stem cells are attracted to areas of inflammation and damage specifically. And um, which I guess is where this whole, this, the, the systemic injection of stem cells would lead to what people would hope would be repair and regeneration of specific injuries that they may have. They're not attracted by inflammatory signal by themselves. But when you have inflammatory signals, these other molecules that will attract stem cells are also secreted as part of a general response that is calling for repair. So those specific uh, signals, cytokines, uh, indeed are secreted along with inflammatory signals to attract stem cells. And interestingly enough, the first thing that a stem cells will do when it, it gets into a tissue is to suppress the inflammation because you don't have repair and inflammation together. When you repair, the inflammation goes away. So essentially, the first role of stem cells is to reduce the inflammation mm-hmm. and engage into the actual uh, repair process. But it's correct. Stem cells will go where they're called, where there is a, a signal, which oftentimes 
lead people to, uh, let's say you want a, a, an injection of stem cells or you take the product that we have here that, that stimulates the release of your own stem cells and you want to have benefits to your knee, for example. And two, three weeks later, they say, yeah, but I don't have benefits in my knee. Well, stem cells won't go where your mind wants them to go. They will go where there's a signal. Yeah. So your knee may signaling, but your heart may also be signaling, your pancreas, your liver, your other place may be signaling. The stem cells that you release will go to a tissue. That's what they do. That's from birth. If they did not go to the tissue, you would not be alive today. So right. they go and they do in your tissues. Uh, they, they go to the, to the tissues that are calling for stem cells. But yes, they will go to the site of injury. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I mean, you know, we see this over and again, over and over again with the body is that the body has its own hierarchy of needs and your knee is, I mean, yeah, it's important, but it's possibly not ranked as high as your heart or your lungs or your brain, like your basic organs to keep you alive. It'll, you know, it'll most likely come before your skin. Your body's not going to put much energy in repairing your skin before your knee, but it'll definitely do these other organs first. No, that, yeah. that's exactly how it works. And you mentioned the skin. It's interesting because it is, although, I mean, I was going to say it's not vital. The skin is actually vital because sure it's it the, but I mean if it's cosmetic. open, it's correct. Yeah. But, but from a cosmetic standpoint, it is a very, very common uh, benefit or story, let's say that people would say, because your stem cells will go into obviously your largest tissue, your skin is a large tissue, and the tissues that have a faster renewal because they need a more constant supply of stem cells. You get a new skin every month or so. So the stem cells that you release, many of them will actually end up in the skin. So it is not rare that people take the product and then they 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 can witness that one of the benefits is their skin. It's one of the sort of positive side benefits. Yeah, it's one of the the side benefits, like the on the, I call it on the surface, right? Like there's a couple of supplements that I use that are doing a lot of work under the hood, right? They're protecting DNA, they're encouraging proper folding of proteins and people are like, yeah, 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 but I don't feel that. And I'm like, well, but you do, but you, anyway, but if it makes my hair look nicer or my nails or my skin, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, well, this is why I'm using this product. <laughs> um, okay, so let's, so now we know that stem cells are super important. These there's value in, and you know we're not discounting this whole idea of extracting stem cells from the fat and reintroducing in, them into the body because they're basically, I guess, one of the things that's interesting is, and and a lot of this discussion is going to be around the release of stem cells because we can think that those stem cells, let's say in the fat, will start with fat and then go to bone marrow because bone marrow is the other place people will have their stem cells extracted from for reintroduction. They're not, are they readily available? Like, can you just call on your fat stem, like the adipose stem cells, are they readily available to your body or what's the process? I guess, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this question properly, but it seems to me that different people heal in different ways. People develop diseases. And so therefore, clearly that flow of stem cells is not constant. It doesn't necessarily happen when we want it. So are there, are there some people who just have more stem cells than others? Are there some people who are able to release their stem cells more efficiently than others? And do some of us just have more stem cells than other people? Like even with the visible signs of aging, you'll notice, you'll see people who look a lot older than their years. It could have to do, of course, with their lifestyle, of course, but all that aside, you know, how do, how is it that, like, I guess, what's the importance of 
the release of the stem cells and maybe your bank, your own personal bank of stem cells? Does it vary? Yes. Um, there, is, there were a number of questions in there. There's a million there. questions so, in there. So let, me, <laughs> let me sort of tell it a little bit like a story. Okay. So when, when you're born, all your bone marrow is red marrow. Yeah. And red marrow is what makes stem cells. As you age, the red marrow slowly transforms into fatty marrow or yellow marrow that does not make stem cells. That transformation starts in the middle of your long bones and moves slowly toward the ends of your long bones uh, so that by age, let's say 15, uh, you already have lost most of your red marrow wow. into the shaft of the bones. You're still left with stem with red marrow into the heads of the bones. When you move, let's say, to 25 to 30 years old, you have lost about 95% of your red marrow. So wow. you're left with very little red marrow making stem cells. It's a natural process. Yeah. Okay? But, but the reality of this is that we all know that kids repair very easily. Yes. One thing that you realize when you cross 30, then slowly you get your first injury and then you realize, gee, this is not healing as fast as, as it used to. Mm -hmm. You've got a very sharp decrease in the number of stem cells, your stem cell bank, if you want. Okay. But whatever is left of that red marrow produces stem cells at the same rate. I don't know, I, I, I don't know any data about about the rate at which the bone marrow itself releases stem cells and how that can change over time, but definitely the amount of red marrow that is available to release stem cells, that reduces with time. So it is, we can come to that later, but it is, I believe, one of the, I, I could not say the only one, but definitely one of the core reason why we develop so-called age-related diseases. Mm -hmm. We lose our ability to repair as we age. Now, if you take any individual of the same age, let's say you take 10 people of the same age, um, you may have to take more than 10 to, to get <laughs> the data that I'm going to, to talk about, but let's say you of take course. many. Yeah. And then we, we have seen in the lab a variation that can go from something like 0 0.05 stem cells per microliter to five stem cells per microliter. This is like a 100-fold difference. So you, wow. you get your red blood cells and the, the, the window between being too low and being too high is fairly narrow. Most of your blood parameters are in a relatively narrow range. Your mm -hmm. stem cells are in a vast, roughly 100-fold range. So the, the idea here is that the people who naturally are at the higher end of that range are the people who around you repair faster, they look healthier, they're more active, they just, if time does not seem to touch them in the same way. And the people who seem to be more affected, don't repair very well, they're the people who are at the lower end of that, of the number of, of, of in the number of stem cells in circulation. What I cannot tell you is if the number of, of stem cells in circulation is due to lesser red marrow or a red marrow that does not release as many stem cells. Because mm. in medicine, the concept is, is you have a poor mobilizer or a good mobilizer. And this whole concept came from cancer research. Because when you had cancer prior to, let's say, let's say 1990, uh, we had to find a compatible donor. Mm -hmm. to, because you go to, to chemotherapy or radiation therapy, it kills all your stem cells. You need an injection of stem cells because without stem cells, you cannot survive. Right. So we need a compatible donor. After we discovered 
markers on stem cells that allowed us to extract stem cells from the blood, then it was possible to extract your stem cells, freeze them, and then give them back to you after your treatment. So now it's simplified a lot of the cancer treatment, but you don't have enough stem cells in your blood to make a harvest that would be significant enough. So in order to do this, molecules were discovered that trigger the release massively, trigger the release of stem cells from the bone marrow. You saw it in the book everywhere because most of the studies oh, yeah. are with that compound, GCSF. So, but in order to know if that treatment will work for you, we need to see if you are a good mobilizer. If you're not a good mobilizer, we give you the GCSF and we still cannot harvest a lot of stem cells. So it's a key aspect of a cancer treatment. Are you a good or a poor mobilizer? So that old research has revealed that there's a lot of people in society that are just poor mobilizers. And you identify them by counting how many stem cells they naturally have in their blood. If they have a low number of stem cells, you know that they're going to be a poor mobilizers. More mobilizers. So the data so far seems to tell us that the limitation is how good of a mobilizer you are. Mobilizer meaning to release. Uh, yeah. so, so how many stem cells can you release? Because you release them every day. The, uh, when a stem cell is released from the bone marrow, it will be in the bloodstream anywhere between six minutes to six hours with roughly about an average of, let's say, one, two hours. You release them. They circulate everywhere in the body. If they do not find an area where they are attracted to go and do tissue repair, they will be attracted back to the bone marrow and they will home back to the bone marrow and resume their place in the bone marrow to be re-released later. Oh. So if you have a constant number of stem cells in your bloodstream, but they're there for, let's say, an average of one, two hours, that tells you they are constantly released. So mm -hmm. it's more about how good of a mobilizer you are and can we increase the number of stem cells that you release from your bone marrow to make more stem cell available for tissue repair and tissue maintenance. Yeah. And that's really the field that I've worked in for the past 20 years. That's so interesting. So, okay, so there's a, a couple of things here that are really interesting to me. So number one, when you release a stem cell, if it doesn't get used, it's not lost. It goes back into storage. That's super interesting. Number two, so different people are able to release stem cells more efficiently. Do, do you think that also some people have more red marrow left than others naturally? Do we know that? Is anybody like, is that a thing or just not, we just don't know that at this point? don't think that we know that the amount of red marrow is a a an element to quantify mostly when we talk about a form of leukemia that is interestingly enough and that's we're getting into like a very nebulous topic here but because <laughs> i've looked into this i thought gee could we reverse the fatty marrow back into red marrow yeah so that i mean it's a fascinating question but right now this process it is called reconversion uh, because first there's conversion to yellow marrow. So now reconversion is actually a phenomenon associated with a form of leukemia. So in order to be able, if we find a plant, let's say, that mm -hmm. would support reconversion, it would require tons of research to make sure that we're actually not going to provoke something that could be deleterious to the body. Right. We don't know. So it, it's it's such a big field, if you want, that I have never really embarked on that journey. But it, to me, it's a fascinating, fascinating question. Yeah, it's a really So everywhere, everywhere I come across the quantification of red marrow, it's within the context of that disease process. Right. I don't think the data, I don't think it's known uh, or it has been really looked at for anybody and as it relates to general health. 
Okay. And so red marrow. So, so here's the other question I have for you is, is red marrow then it's not making new stem cells. It's the repository of our stem cells. So we, right. So we're not making new stem cells all the time. We were born with our stash. We go through a bunch of it. Then the, the red marrow in the bones revert goes to yellow marrow, but we're left with almost our stores of red marrow and our stores of stem cells, if you will, in the red marrow and then whatever is in the fat as well. Is that correct-ish? No, there's a mostly no. except one big, big, big. Um, okay, that's fine. That's why big, we're here. Little point. <laughs> one major point I <laughs> missed. Yeah. One major point. It's that the stem cells in the bone marrow contains telomerase. Uh, so they are immortal. So they... You have a stash, but that stash is not going to slowly deplete, deplete itself. That stash will constantly multiply and maintain itself at the same number. Okay. So if I, if I release, let's say you have roughly, let's say, 150 million stem cells in your, in your bone marrow as an adult. Yeah. So if you release, let's say, 10 million of these stem cells, you don't have 140. You still have 150 because they divide as they release and it, it's, oh. a div, it's a cellular division that is actually beautiful because everywhere in nature, you have a, a process of cellular division called symmetrical cellular division, where your yeah. DNA separates and then one strand of the original DNA go into each daughter cells. Correct. In the bone marrow, you have what is called asymmetrical cellular division. Your two strands of DNA go into one cell that stays in the bone marrow and the other one is the one that is released. So you can maintain your original DNA into that bank of stem cells. Otherwise, after five, 10 years of age, you would have had so many copies of copies of copies. We would be like full of, of mutations of all kinds. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a very protective mechanism to make sure that your, your base of stem cells, uh, your reserve stays pure if you want. But, but it, it will multiply during the entire life of an individual. It's the amount of that base that shrinks as it transforms into fatty marrow. I see. So, so, it's, so it is shrinking as we age. And so the trick is, so really the trick, and a lot of the book talks about this, is how do we convince the body to release them when, as much as we need? And I guess, and this is where I guess where lifestyle, diet, and all the other things we can do to maybe reduce the demand on this system, you know, there'll be things you can't control, but as much as we can control, I mean, you talk about, you know, you talk about the regular, the normal players, if you will, smoking, which I'm sure also feeds into exposure to different types of toxins and pollutants and, and stuff like that, which will ultimately create damage that has to be repaired. But, but, you know, where I think is also very interesting is, there is an example in the book because you do you go through a bunch of case studies at the end. And there is an example at the end of the book of a type two diabetic who also had major cardiac issues. And, you know, he was he was actually, a, I think, a native elder and he was preparing himself to transition to his next phase, as it were, and used a compound, a specific compound, not even and it wasn't even your supplement. Like he used a very specific compound and was able to reverse a lot. Well, he was no longer diabetic and he no longer had a heart condition. So that would have been by stimulating this compound, ultimately stimulating the release of those stem cells. 
Correct. And maybe in greater quantities than he normally would have just on a day-to-day basis. Well, I, I did not have the, the, the medical records of that person, but I, I, I use it in the book because I, what I tried to do in the book as much as possible uh, is to give a sense to the reader of what was the journey of the scientific discovery mm-hmm. of all these things. There's a reason why we do things or don't or why we're motivated to, you know, to go in a certain path. Uh, and that case to me was a big motivation because I was working with this aquatic botanical blue-green algae from Klamath Lake, which is what I started to work, uh, to work on in, in 1994. So when I said I came across a number of cases, this was one of these stellar cases. So you have somebody who is insulin-dependent, diabetic, yeah. And with a heart condition where he had several heart attacks, three bypass surgery, and now he's in his early 60s, which is young, but he's in his early 60s. And uh, <clears throat> he had started to prepare for his passing. Uh, he was an elder of a, of an in, of a native tribe in Washington. Uh, and then one day I received this letter where he's describing his life. And he said, I just want to say thank you for your product because Right now, my last visit to my doctor, well, I don't use insulin anymore and my heart is fine. So I'm dedicating the rest of my life to my people. I mean, it's not a medical case, but why would somebody write this if if it's not true? So let's say we assume it's true. Then what is this product doing? So at the time, it was not the extract that we developed later when we discovered the effect of that plant on stem cell release, identified the active compounds, and we developed uh, this product for stem cells. So my my way of explaining what happened is that we had maybe on, I cannot tell how many consumers, thousands of consumers, tens of thousands of consumers. I heard maybe of 50 of these cases. Mm -hmm. So it's the people who were either more sensitive to the extract uh, or uh, to, to this plant or people for whom a little bit more stem cells made a big difference in their life. So when we got the extract, then suddenly it was more like, gee, 50 to 70% of the people start to report benefits. So we just increased the potency, if you want, of that phenomenon. Mm. But, we, but I saw it earlier on in these cases. And so, yeah, and that was just the algae. That was the just the blue, blue-green algae. Because there was another story of a woman with with burn, like a 60 year old woman who'd sustained massive burns as a 12 year old. And, you know, that kind of scarring doesn't go away. Like it just doesn't go away. Like you can't, you can't even cut it away. Like you just end up with more scars. Yeah. So is it possible that these people also, like, I think you said this, like, is it possible that somehow on top of getting their hands on, on this product, which was transformative for, I mean, life-saving for them, like their own bodies, they just had exceptionally good stores of stem cells that were ready to go. And they just needed that, that trigger to be released. But I guess, like, do you know yet? I mean, that's, I guess that will be the work that you will do in the future when you will see that some people respond more than others. And could that have something to do with the fact that they innately either have a better store of stem cells or did they call on them less in their lives because they didn't sustain as much damage along the way? So there's more to be called a bit, but it doesn't sound to me like we really deplete them that much as we age. No, it's a blend of different factors. So number one is how good of a mobilizer you are. So how many stem cells can you provide for your tissue to actually repair? Then there is other conditions in the body that can sort of, um, how could I say, blind the stem cells mm. to the injured tissue. So you release them, but when they are in the blood circulation, the systemic inflammation, for example, will provide some sort of a 
cloud, for yeah. lack of better term. I, mean, I can go into science of it. It gets complicated. But it's like but a, it provides- a smoke screen. It may, it's noise. Right. It's like exactly. It's a noise. Exactly. It's a noise. Yeah. So now the stem cell is not as effective at identifying what is the product, the, 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 the tissue that is needing assistance. And then you've got the other last part. I mean, there's more than that, but the three main of parts course. is that is that your tissue needs to be signaling. If your tissue does not signal, then the stem cells will not see it. So if you're talking about a scar, an old scar like that lady, a 50-year-old yeah. scar, normally, or I would say oftentimes, these scars are healed, they're a keloid scar, they're what they are, and they won't really repair because there's not a substrate for repair in that skin. However, if the scar is still physiological, meaning it's still a long-term injury that is there, and a lot of stars, scars actually are physiological. There's an easy way to, to determine this. I'll tell you in a minute. It's, it's beautiful. But if they are, that means they signal. So the moment mm -hmm. you put more stem cells in circulation, then they are open for potential repair. I would say for somebody that has a scar, take a, a, a harsh cotton brush, you know, to, to scrub your back and the shower and, and brush these scars to activate them, make them physiologically reactive. Because for example, if you touch a scar, that becomes physiology, physiologically reactive, you will release adrenaline for, for a second, you will release adrenaline and that will show up on your pulse. So it's very easy, you, you take your pulse and if you touch that scar with a pen, with a, with a feather, with a piece of paper, the moment you touch that scar, you will feel that the power of your pulse will shut down for one beat or two. And you know that that, that scar is reactive. So now by releasing your stem cells, by brushing and activating that scar, you could have significant benefits on, on that scar. So yes, it is. I mean, to go back to your question, yeah. is how good of a mobilizer you are, what else in your, in your body can prevent stem cells from doing what they're doing, which is repair? And is your tissue signaling enough to bring stem cells to that tissue in a significant way? Yeah, no, it's interesting because in her story, she actually talks about how her scarring, her scar got red. And people are like, oh, my God, you must be allergic to that stuff. You've got to stop. And yet she somehow on a gut level said, no, nah, no, I don't think so. I think it's doing something. Yeah. And uh, and then the scars resolved, which is amazing. I mean, I have a I have a scar on my face. I've been looking at it in the mirror recently, just going, is it still there? But I think mine's pretty inert. It's from birth. So it's really old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't get older than that one. Folks, just a quick minute to thank our sponsor this episode, DrinkHRW, who make rejuvenation molecular hydrogen tablets. They deliver 10 parts per million of hydrogen in 500 milliliters of water directly to your cells. This is the highest concentration of hydrogen of any other brand. I personally choose this product for a number of reasons, but the first is that this company actually invests in research. To date, they've invested in 13 human clinical trials with more to come. So why is hydrogen important in the first place? Well, the list of benefits of molecular hydrogen includes enhanced alertness, reduction in liver fat, improved aerobic fitness, improved muscle recovery. And there was also a study on metabolic health in humans that showed that drink HRW tablets improved 18 of 20 metabolic markers. I use molecular hydrogen first thing in the morning, and I will often use it mid-afternoon if I need a bit of a pick-me-up. So if you'd like to try molecular hydrogen rejuvenation tablets for yourself, just go to drinkhrw.com forward slash superhuman and use discount code longevity to save 15% off your purchase. And now let's get back to the episode. So we're familiar with the mobilization of stem cells. We're familiar with the fact that stem cells 
replicate in a very specific way to preserve that genetic material and avoid mistakes. So that when your body is calling on your stem, when you're mobilizing stem cells, you're not actually depleting your store as much as you're just asking it to activate this, this replication process and release them. And then they come back home, really. But wouldn't that mean that you would then end up with more stem cells over time? Or you end up using them, or you just use them up anyway, because there's always some, some work that needs to be done somewhere. Correct. Use them up anyway. But I was laughing because in your question, <laughs> there is one condition for which it's just, it's just a question mark. I'll share it. I don't know the real answer to the question, yeah. but over the years, we came across a number of people who had a bone marrow transplant and, and they would ask, can the product help? The product will not help to make more stem cells. However, if you can somewhat aggressively release those new stem cells that you have, because when you get a bone marrow transplant, you don't have a whole lot of stem cells into, no. that goes into that bone marrow. They will grow, they will repopulate that niche over time. But if you release a lot of stem cells that you don't need, they then go back to the bone marrow. So you accelerate this repopulation level. So in a way, there's oh, one condition where in a very empirical way, uh, some people have tried the product and indeed they, they, they reported benefits. This is very empirical. I cannot at this point tell you that, yes, it's something that should be done. Uh, but generally speaking, you release them. They don't use, they go back to the bone marrow. And these stem cells are more labile, if you want. They're in an area of the bone marrow that will make them be released immediately or very soon thereafter. Okay, so they're, they're, the, work, they're the workhorses. It's like your, your queen bees and your worker bees. The worker bees are the guys that go out. Queen bees, yeah. we protect. We just have a lot of them. There you go. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So now we know that we have our red marrow that we want to protect. We know that you actually, you know what? You also talk in the book because, so now we get to the point where like, okay, so we know that smoking in a bad lifestyle is going to not be good for us. But there's a couple of pieces that you speak to in the book about, stress having a negative impact on stem cells. And I think, I think it's so interesting, right? Because stress is so nebulous. And at the end of the day, it's how we manage stress. That's more important than whether or not we have stress because I mean, we've always had stress and Lord knows these days, everybody has more stress than they know what to do with. So can you talk a little bit about, because you talk about some very interesting ideas about how stress affects stem cells specifically. Um, and and is more harmful to the body from a re, you know blocking regeneration or making us less able to heal and regenerate. And I thought stress was I just thought stress would be an interesting conversation because before we get to the you know we'll we'll talk about the different plants that you've found that have really been that have shown themselves to be incredibly useful for this purpose. There's also this idea of what can we do. What, how do we prepare the terrain and create an environment where we don't need our stem cells as much? To me, the discussion, where I see the, the importance or excitement of that discussion is that the more we learn about stem cells, the more it really points to this in this direction that it is the core of human health. There are a lot of things about human health, autophagy, synolytics, uh, bio, uh, some peptides that we talked about before, I mean, er, before the, this, this yeah, yeah. Uh, podcast. But there's a lot of things about health. 
But when we, the deeper we go with stem cells, it seemed to be like the core that ties all the rest together. So to me, the effect of cigarette smoking, of stress, sleep and diet on stem cells, where it's fascinating is that it's almost anything that we know being bad for health ends up having a negative effect on stem cells. Right. Everything that we know being good for health ends up having a good effect of stem cells. So it's almost like at the core, it's, it's, it's uh, how could I say, everything that we do good or bad ends up touching that core of your health. So for the stress, it's, um, it's a study that was done actually in mice where they would, so you take, oh, maybe in rats, anyway, in animals. So you take- uh, Or like in rodents. <laughs> exactly. So you take, I'm assuming rats because mice don't have enough blood to take multiple blood samples. Oh. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so you take, they took a blood sample in an animal and then you look at the number of stem cells, their ability to multiply and their ability to migrate into tissues. Right. Then you take the animal, you put it in a pool and you make the animal swim. They don't like to be in water. It's a very stressful environment. So you let it swim for a few minutes, then you take it out and then you take another blood sample. And then now you look at the stem cells and what you see is that the stem cells are uh, inhibited in their ability right. to proliferate and to migrate into tissues. And when you talk about, and, and then various tissues, and if you remove the adrenal glands to these animals before you put them in the water, you don't see this effect. Huh. Meaning that the effect on stem cells is directly caused by the cortisol, cortisone, adrenaline, everything that is being released by the adrenals, the stress hormones. Stress so it's a hormonal yeah. phenomenon. So, so it goes back to what you just said before. Stress is one thing. What your body will do is how your mind deals with that stress. If you, if you take it with no big deal, then you don't have the, the, the hormonal reaction to that stress. Uh, but if you look at just the average person who has not done that work of sort of a being choosing joy no matter what, <laughs> then, uh, then you can say that for all your adult life, you know, 30, 40 years, you're constantly in a state of background stress that basically suppresses your ability to repair. And because when I started my whole journey in, into neurophysiology when I was a teen, I was fascinated by this whole concept of neuroimmunophysiology, mm -hmm. the link between stress and diseases. And that's mm -hmm. probably what led me to study in that field. Stress was associated with so many diseases. And at the end, it's, it's almost hard to understand how it, what's the mechanism of action for stress to be, to be the precursor to so many different kinds of health problems. I cannot say it's just that. But right now we can say you're basically reducing your ability to repair every day of your life. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, no, that is huge. And we talk about, in a very simplistic fashion, we talk about chronic stress turning down or turning off the immune system, like making you more, making a person more susceptible to getting sick and whatever that stress may be. You know, another, before we move into the ingredients and we're gonna, we gotta move in quickly, but. The other thing that I found really interesting was the section on exercise and how you talk about super maximal exercise forces the body basically to flood with stem cells. It, it basically demands a release of stem cells, which now after this discussion makes all the sense of the world, world because this super maximal exercise is essentially by its very nature going to cause damage to tissues. Like we can call it a hormetic stressor all we want. It's still causing tears in the muscle, you know, the wear and tear on the joints from the pounding, if you're a marathon runner, that kind of thing. And so 
it's a demand on the body to release stem cells, which is a really interesting concept. And I guess you then go on to say, because I was sitting there reading this with a sinking heart because I, you could not pay me to run a marathon. I just, my body breaks. Um, but I'm, I'm, I was really grateful to read, you know, like hit and certain anything that really pushes your body to that point of doing the micro damage to the muscles is ultimately going to stimulate that same response or a similar response, maybe not as big. Correct. That and also the fact, and then again, we would open the door to a relatively complex discussion, but your, your muscles are also a pool for a specific type of stem cells that are very regenerative in the body. So, so there's also that that comes into play through exercise. So exercise obviously is good for many reasons, but it's part of those elements of lifestyle. It has a definite impact on stem cells and your ability to repair. Uh, but of course, if you do a lot of it, sometimes- Too um, much is, yeah. You then, it, then it the overcomes, system. correct. Yeah, and I think you know it bears mentioning now, right before we launch into the different compounds we're gonna talk about, it bears mentioning that there is no getting away from the stress management, the sleep optimization, the exercise and eating the right foods. Like there's just literally no getting away from that. So before you run around worrying about your stem cell release, you got to get that stuff dialed in. So we talked about the blue green algae and then there's a few other ingredients that or other plants, let's say that, and, and we may as well come out with it. Like you have a supplement that is there to help stimulate the mobilization of the release of stem cells. And, you know, you talk in the book and we touched on it earlier that there may be really good value in encouraging the body to constantly be releasing that flow of stem cells for the, your overall health and constant maintenance rather than waiting for the big disaster. Right. Which, Oh, by the way, we, we can add addressing chronic inflammation so that there's not that noise screen that prevents the stem cells from finding their destinations. Moving into like all the, these different ingredients, these are all, you have this very interesting question that you ask when you go looking for an ingredient. And maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Cause I, I, I found that really, when you, when you say it in the book, I'm like, that's so smart. It's so simple, but it's so smart. <laughs> Obvious in a way. And it came from how we discovered the effect of AFA, this blue-green algae. To me, we have evolved in symbiosis with the environment as a biological entity. Just like you don't have only one plant that have antioxidants, you don't have only one plant that supports the immune system. It's not possible that there's only one plant that has an effect on stem cells. It cannot be a fluke. So there has to be other plants. So how do you find them? So I just thought the easiest way to find them is just to ask, look in the scientific literature and see globally what plant has been associated to a broad variety of health benefits. Goji berry, medicinal mushroom, these things, you know, ginseng, these things that have been used for centuries and everybody used them and, and not everybody, but I mean, in different culture, yeah. they use them for overall health. Like take this and you will age with health. Mm -hmm. So those compounds, or we go locally in remote areas of the world. And what are they using in Madagascar, for example, in Papua New Guinea, in South America, in, in some areas where we don't know what plants they're using, but locally there's something that they use for overall health or for various kinds of, of health benefits with this idea that if the plant does one thing, then which is to release stem cells, it will be experienced by people in a variety of benefits. Mm -hmm. Stem cells will go to the pancreas of the diabetic, to the heart of the heart patient, to the brain of the Parkinson and so on. So in one of these cases is the Alumacroclada from Madagascar because I met a, um, 
a biochemist uh, at a uh, my wife is an actress, so we had a Hollywood meeting, and then there was a biochemist there that was accompanying somebody else, and we just started to talk, and, uh, and uh, they happened, her and her group, they happened to travel the world to find plants for Alzheimer's and Parkinson. That was their main focus at the time. And so I asked her, and they, so they went to Papua New Guinea, weeks at a time in Congo. I asked her, is there a place where you've been? When you ask the healer, do you have a plant in, uh, that helps such and such condition? And there's this plant that, that is really good for many conditions. And mm-hmm. the first answer was, nothing is good for everything. Mm-hmm. Almost, anyway, and I understand the answer. Sure. So, so I sent her a copy of my book and she read it. And about two weeks later, they <laughs> called back and they said, now we understand. So the, the plant will do one thing to release stem cells, but it will be experienced in various benefits. And then one of her colleagues, uh, the biochemist, who is now my partner in, in Madagascar, said, it's interesting that you say that because the last trip to Madagascar, the, uh, the translator and guide stopped on the way to the airport in this small village and uh, at a market, and he scooped this big, big bag of small black beads. And he said, that's what you need to test. But you tell a scientist, that's what you need to test. What, the sci- I mean, what do you do as a scientist? What so am I testing that- for? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So he, so he put it in the freezer and it had been in the freezer for five years. And he said, well, let me send you some of these black beads. So, uh, so we tested them and we got the best response that we had seen so far in everything that we had studied at that time in wow. terms of stem cell mobilization. And it was a species of aloe that is endemic to Madagascar. It's found almost only in Madagascar called aloe macroclada. So the natives take the gel they uproot the plant, they char the plant and turn it into ash. Uh, they boil the, the gel to evaporate it. And then they mix it with the ash, roll little balls uh, and that they sun dry these little balls and they shrink and they become the size of a pea. So it looks like a black pea. And they wow. use this for liver problem, digestive problem, back pain, joint pain, um, liver problems. And for one thing that to me has become I don't really talk about it because it's kind of ridiculous, but to me, it has become almost like the guiding factor. All the plants that have an effect on stem cells have been locally documented to reverse air color. So you go from your gray back to your your original air color. (laughs) This will be interesting. (laughs) And and, and to the point that over time, at at some point, we did a a study with AFA because people were talking about this change in air color. And I was thinking, you don't have to make these obviously false story, you know, <laughs> to promote a product, you know, yeah. of course your air color is not reversing, just stick to the real and the data. It's good enough. And one day a friend of mine came and he told me, he says, no, it's really happening to me. So we went into a lab of cosmetology and on six individual, indeed in six months, we had 20% reversal uh, or darkening if you want of hair color. So that alumacroplata is used for that. As people age, they use it to reverse back to their air color and to age with health. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, f- filled a lot of those criteria. So we developed our own uh, product uh, with extracting the gel. Uh, now it's a plantation. So there's a co-op that was developed in, in Madagascar uh, with my partner, John, there. And uh, so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big product. So it's one of the key ingredients that we have in, in STEM Regen. 
Yeah. And, and all then, the ingredients have a little bit of that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the other one is um, because, you know, sea buckthorn berry, it kind of comes and goes. And people are always saying, oh, sea buckthorn is amazing. It's an incredible antioxidant. It's a great source of vitamin C. But again, you are going after a very specific sea buckthorn. And, and it kind of feeds into this concept of plants that are grown in the most stressful environments often produce the, mo- the highest degree of protective elements of antioxidants and and the sea buckthorn that you've sourced comes from like high elevation in tibet right correct so it's a it's interesting the scientific name of sea buckthorn is ipo fai oh, ipo means story. horse yeah yeah <laughs> so ipo means horse fai means light so yeah. it means it means shining horse and it comes from it's rare that the plant has a name that that describes not its morphology, but that describes what it does in the body. It's very mm-hmm. rare. So sea buckthorn is one of them. So Alexander the Great, during his conquest uh, in, in toward China, uh, at some point left a, a herd of horses wounded in battle and basically left them to die. But it happened to be a field of sea buckthorn berry. And when he came back later, he just saw a herd of vibrant, healthy horse with a shiny coat, which is a sign of health for horses. So the, so the berry was called shining horse. Uh, from there, the sea buckthorn berry was brought back to Greece. From there, it was grown in Greece and the whole Mediterranean area. Now it's everywhere. You basically, all throughout the world, you have sea buckthorn berry. But where it comes from, from the Tibetan plateau, from the region of the Himalayas, uh, the tree will not grow more than, let's say, about six feet. Mm. But if it grows around sea level, it can grow to 20, 25 feet. Uh, The berries are large. They're sort of plump. Uh, At high altitude, the berries are very small. They're tart. Um, I would say probably... 80% 80% of the berry is the seed inside of it. There's right. very little flesh. Uh, and these berries have a much higher concentration of the bioactives that are known to have various effects on health. Uh, because in the Tibetan, in Tibetan medicine, Mongolian medicine as well, and traditional Chinese medicine, that berry was uh, used for lung cancer, for health of the lung, health of the heart, cardiovascular system, diabetes, uh, to help repair bones after bone fracture and healing of the skin after burn. So mm-hmm. when you look at this, to me, it tells me stem cells. But how I discovered it, I, it's not a discovery. Uh, I just asked this benign question to three different friends of mine, Chinese, that had studied plants, the biochemistry of plants. And jokingly, I asked them, okay, you're lost in a desert island and you can only, <laughs> you can only bring one plant of the entire <laughs> Chinese pharmacopoeia, what do you bring? And the three of them told me Sibokton berry. I was, wow. I was expecting, I don't know, I was not expecting Sibokton berry. So then I started into the literature and I discovered this, this prolific literature about this berry. So we, I went to Tibet, I found a farm uh, that was cultivating uh, the, the, those berries. Uh, we derived an extract, we tested it, and indeed, it just had, it, it gave a good response in stem cell release. So these are the various ingredients that we have in, in uh, stem regen. Everything that we have documented that releases stem cells from the bone marrow uh, over the years, we blended that together uh, into one product. That's amazing. That's that's phenomenal. So I think we're gonna we're gonna move towards wrapping up here because we've been going for a while. We could keep going for a long time. Let's be clear. Um, so when let, like we'll talk about the product now because I think you know the background was so important to understand. Because I remember when I got my bottle of stem regen, I'm like, yeah, so it's a bunch of plants, big deal. And then I read the book. I was like, holy crap! Like, give me that. <laughs> 
I need to take this stuff. Like, is there such a thing as too much? Like, is this the kind of product you just take? Um, you know, out of to me, this feels like a found. You know, I call I talk about my foundation stack. So these are the things that I take to keep to keep the machine well oiled and moving. But when you're in a situation where you have an issue, so let's say you get an injury and you want to, you want, you need more healing, would it be appropriate to take a higher dose of this without making any claims? Like we don't know. It depends on a lot of different circumstances that we've talked about already, but is this the kind of product that people could say, okay, I've got a greater need right now. I'm going to take more. Would that be safe? Definitely. I cannot tell you this out of studies because when we study, we study a specific dose for, for the simple reason that those studies are very expensive. So yeah, we are a yeah. dietary supplement company. We don't have the millions to do these kinds of studies, but it's clear after 20 years of working with these plants, they are do- the effect is dose dependent. The more you take, the stronger will be the, the regenerative or the repair effect in the body. Uh, I would say that more important than taking more, it's to take it more often so that you right. send sort of waves of stem cells in the body. That's probably better than taking a lot at once. When we do clinical trials, we always do two capsules three times a day. Uh, I cannot tell you that it's optimal. What I can tell you is that if I have a clinic, if I have researchers that are ready to do the study, I always thought it would be too bad to say six months later, maybe we should have used more. Yeah. You know, you know. so I go on the higher end. Uh, some years ago, we did our studies. We went up to like 18 capsules a day. I don't think it's necessary, but it's just to show you, you cannot take too much. There's nothing in there that you can take too much. These are all plants that have been used for centuries uh, by, by local people. And the real discovery here is not that we have something that is like a drug that can, that can be toxic to the body. It's simply that we lifted the cover on one of the biological effects of these plants that we just simply did not know before. That's really what the discovery is. So there's no limit as to what someone can take. But generally speaking, I would say this, two capsules for maintenance. If there's something that needs more attention, you can go to two twice a day. If there's something more serious, then do two, three times a day for a while, a yeah, month or exactly. two. And it might just be enough to put the body, you know, to boost it, you know, beyond over the hump. Yeah. Or even to support whatever else you're doing. Like even if it's an adjunct to a conventional therapy, what you're really doing is you're tapping into your body's own ability to, to heal itself, which we all know is, you know, that's, there's the Holy grail right there, right. Is getting the body to do. Because the product in in reality, if we make a really truthful statement here, the product itself, its mechanism of action, it it does not have any effect on a disease. What it does is that it, it releases your own stem cells period, but your stem cells just happen to be your repair system. Mm-hmm. then those stem cells, when they are released, they will go wherever there's something to repair. It's your body that is really a miracle in, in this picture. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think the more we learn, the more we come back to that. And the most powerful interventions that we're finding, I think, tap into exactly this, this getting the body to do its own thing. So, well, Christian, thank you so much. This this is a fascinating discussion. I could talk to you for a really long time. <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, in the interest of respecting your time and the time of our listeners, I think we'll maybe tell people where to find you. And there will be folks, it'll be recorded into the introduction, but there will be a website and a discount code for you guys, for anybody who'd like to try this product. Uh, but where can people find you or how can they get in touch with you and learn more about your work and your, and your, and STEM Regen? Everything right now is on the website of uh, where they can get STEM Regen. So it's kaliagen.com. So K-A-L-Y-A-G-E-N.com. Amazing. Yeah. And there's lots of information there, actually, lots of studies. And I really recommend you guys, if you're if you're as captivated by this as I am, you're going to want to get your hands on uh, Christian's book, which is Cracking the Stem Cell Code. I'm going to hold it up here. It's a great read. I plowed through this thing on a flight. <laughs> it's like I started reading it going, oh, I don't know. I guess I'll try this book. And within like 10 minutes, I'm buried in it. I couldn't I couldn't turn the pages fast enough on of course, I'm also a little bit of a nerd, but anyway. <laughs> so thank you again, Christina. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.